0: You're going to see, well, in other states, the state is paying for 30% of the funding, not 16, and they're getting, you know, as a result, they're getting better results or more people are getting jobs. So I think, you know, states will be able to compare themselves and either say, hey, we're doing well, good for us, or we're not doing so well, we should rush to catch up.
1: This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. On this episode of In the Know, I spoke with Tamar Jacoby, President and CEO of Opportunity America. We spoke about Opportunity America's national survey currently underway to profile non-credit workforce programs at community colleges. We discussed the survey's early results and how community colleges could get involved if they haven't already participated. This interview was recorded on Zoom, so you might notice a few brief dips in audio quality. For our listeners who aren't familiar, could you give a brief introduction to what Opportunity America is and what they, what you all do?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, my favorite question. Um, we're <laughs> a research and policy shop, uh, based in Washington D.C., but with a national scope, and we're interested in economic mobility, really. And but the the way we primarily define that is jobs, skills, careers, workforce skills. And we see, we see the world of especially job focused education. It's kind of like Silicon Valley in the 1970s or 80s. Mm. There's so much innovation going on. There's a garage on every corner, but it is still kind of the 70s or 80s. There's still a lot to be done to sort of fulfill the innovation and to have some kind of settling out of the good innovation. And so we see our job as a catalyst. We're a small organization, but we see our job as a catalyst to kind of, you know, get a sense of that field. Find the better mouse traps. Lift up the better mouse traps. Connect the people who are building better mouse traps so they can, you know, help each other and and make policy so that it can accommodate the better mouse traps. And it's a really exciting time to be in this field because there's so much going on. And, and um, yeah, so that's what we do. We're we're a catalyst.
1: Sure. So this is kind of a broad question, but how does the work that you do generally match up with the work that community colleges are doing across the country?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I've been interested in community college workforce education for quite a long time, and I I sensed that there was a lot of ferment going on, okay. and but that, again, we didn't always know about the ferment, you know, so sometimes it's just happening at the institution and sometimes it's measurable, for example, in iPads data, but often it's not measurable. If it's happening at the, at the, um, on the, on the non-credit side of the college, you know, we probably don't even know about it. Right. And I started visiting colleges and started realizing, this was, you know, five years ago or so, realizing how, you know, that they were all kind of, there was this excitement, there was this change, there was this new thinking, in many places that workforce was more important. But they were there were there were a million you know, there were a thousand flowers blooming kind of and and um, we didn't really know what it was. And that policies in states are so different. I mean depending on what state you're in, you know, you can have a, live in a totally different universe as far as as far as um, what your community college can do. Yeah. Um, so you know well, I started to think about how do we make the space help people understand what others are doing, make the space safe for the innovation that they're doing. You know, it's often, in many colleges, you're the person who's been ar- doing workforce and arguing for workforce, you know, for a decade, and the other people at the college don't take you seriously or very seriously. and. Um, the idea here was like when we, we did a big project last year, we kind of did a major national report with a lot of important people kind of saying colleges should, community colleges should put workforce more at the center of their mission and culture. And what we're hoping is that that will make it safe for colleges to that want to do that, to go in that direction. And we also gave them, you know, it was a hundred, it was a hundred page report, a lot of specific information about, you know, if you want to do this, more of this, try this, try this, try this. So we try to be, you know, kind of exercise, I don't know, thought leaders of kind of a phrase I hate, but to exercise some thought leadership that um, helps create space for the colleges, gives the colleges ideas, helps the colleges learn from each other.
1: Yeah, and what I, what I think is interesting, too, or an interesting challenge, at least from um, the research that I've done, is that, you know, work what workforce development looks like in, you know, not even just states and different towns can be totally different. I mean. Oh, the, you know industries present in certain areas that are phasing in and phasing out of relevancy you know it's it can be really tough to sort of nail down what the what the exact needs are in a community
0: it's really hard to nail down the needs the the you know, community colleges have always had so many missions, have already had multiple, already always, excuse me, had multiple missions. So there's always been kind of a choice for the leadership. Am I mostly gonna focus on transfer? Am I mostly gonna focus on workforce? Can I try to do both? Am I mostly gonna focus on recreational courses? So leadership matters a lot. Like the it, the economic context matters. whether or not you can understand the economic context matters, leadership choices at the university matter, and then again, state policy really matters. So, and they're probably leaving out a few things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, we're at the stage now where, um, you know, there's certain terms out there that everybody sort of agrees are, you know, most people sort of tell you what are the key ingredients of a good kind of workforce approach, right? Everybody would say really good partnerships with employers, you know, labor market information, stackable credentials, you know, there's a list. Um, but, and every college almost at this point can sort of talk that talk, but they often understand what you're talking about very differently. Yeah. And so, you know, I, especially around like, well, I mean, a lot of those terms actually, but, um, you know something well i have a burning glass subscription isn't that labor market information and you know yes that's a good start but it's, <laughs> you need to go further yeah. <laughs> and i mean and the employer partnerships are the worst i mean um i mean i had someone literally say to me once i i met three new employer partners recently i went to a, i sat with three hvac guys at a rotary lunch i mean that is not really that's you know that's nice good better than that you don't know them and maybe they told you something interesting about the about the hvac industry but that is not the same as an employer who co-writes the curriculum you know calls every week and says how's suzy doing and then calls you after he hires Susie and says well she's not really skilled you know she didn't teach her the right things like that's an employer partnership yeah so many schools have something and they sort of think they're doing the new thing you know we we're doing the new trend um but they there's so much variation and, and it's, and it's still, it's still new, you know, and it's still spreading and people are still learning what the terms mean.
1: Yeah. So what was this, uh, this most recent survey that Opportunity America did?
0: Yeah, so we're in the middle of a survey. Okay. Um, we are trying to figure out, you know, we we sort started with all the questions you and I have just been talking about. What's going on out there? Where are we in this revolution? You know, it's a revolution that's going on across the country, but we don't really know how broad or how deep it is. We don't even know what's really happening, right? We don't even know, I mean, take a, never mind the revolution part yet, just take the basic facts. We don't know whether we're, whether non-credit education is more than is a bigger enrol- student enrollment nationally or smaller student enrollment than for credit there are five million non-credit students in america that's based on an 11 year old survey question that has not been updated in 11 years and we don't know if that's even close to true and we don't know what, you know again what's the balance at most institutions, and then we don't know inside the black box of of non credit I mean there are questions about the credit side too, but the black real black box is the non credit side we don't know like do most of them do mostly workforce, do most of them do mostly recreational? Do most of them do mostly ESL? All those questions. We don't even, you know, we, it's like my funder uses the metaphor of the map when Columbus sailed across the ocean. You know, they used to make maps that had land on the other side, but the ocean was just like they had, it would have a dragon in the middle of the ocean, you know, (laughs) because they didn't really know what it looked like. We don't know the landscape at all. So that was like the first impetus to questioning, like, let's try to find out. But then the second question was to understand how broad and deep this innovation is, you know, so not just like how much workforce are they doing? And, and what is it actually? But and who's taking it? Like, are, you know, they're mostly white, black, you know, mix, equal, what's what's like what's going on there? But it, but then what is the innovation taking hold? And how's that innovation advancing? So we have a national survey in the field we've asked we've asked all twelve hundred we, we, we have a sample that consists of twelve hundred and sixty one um, publicly funded two year institutions that do work for us Some of them are actually it's a little bigger than many people's count because we include you know institutions that do only non credit we include some of those um, institutions that are both secondary and post secondary in some states there are institutions like that um, And um, we've asked them a lot of questions about their workforce offerings and their relationships with employers. And we've had a major push. You know, it's hard, people get, educators get a lot of surveys and they, They, you know, are over surveyed and tired of doing it. And this is COVID year when they're otherwise busy and have budget crunches and have all kinds of issues. So we had a major, major, major effort, including that that ACCT helped us with, to get the word out and encourage people to participate. And we have, it won't close until, it's closing 1st of February, the final closing, but we have some preliminary results.
1: So it's kind of funny when you're saying it's been 11 years since you got that last information. I mean, we get a census every 10 years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they do a lot of intermediate censuses. and yeah. you know, like they like they, you know, they check every two, six months with a smaller sample.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, of course. Um, so. What are there any are there any early results that you're particularly excited about, or maybe not excited about, but uh...
0: yeah, no, no, it's exciting. Well, I mean, on that very question, I'm a little surprised, and I'm going to be eager to see if it's um, if it's sustained. So we have a hundred. Who did we get the early sample from? Let me just explain so you know who this is. Um, there were 14 states where the state education agency said when we told them our surveys you will have data in the spring, they said that's not soon enough. They said in the COVID year, when our legislature is meeting in January to think about how to spend the money, we want to be able to tell them that what we're doing that's effective right away in January. So in those 14 states, the state helped us round up the colleges to finish early. So it was sort of like early admissions, only it was early responder. And so we have a sample of 127 colleges in 14 states. Okay. And you know, our whole sample again is 1,261. And so far we have 31% of the whole sample have answered. So we're gonna have much bigger numbers when we're finally done. But for now we have 127. And I'm surprised by the, the this first finding, how much of the pie is credit and how much is non-credit because the the it ranges in the 14 states we looked at from 13% non-credit to half non-credit. Wow. Um, So right there, right? Like really confusing. The average is closer to 30%. Okay. So, but, but it's a big range. Yeah. And, and, and and again, if you took the, if you look at the AACC numbers, like the 10 year, the 11 year old census, you know, that would suggest that it's much closer to 40, 60, 45, 55. Um, I think it is higher than this, but this is our first preliminary finding. You know, you can't argue with the data. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's the first surprise. Second surprise, and I'll you know stop me when you've had enough, um, <laughs> is the um, so then again I I always have said all along this is the most interesting question on the survey. Um, how much of your non-credit universe is job training? And how much is like hobby courses, you know, walking tour of Charlotte or French cooking or whatever? Sure. How much is ESL? How much is remedial if you do remedial and non-credit? And the answer is that altogether customized and open enrollment non-occupational, uh, you know, anyone at the college can take it is almost 60% of the non-credit pie. Wow. Um, it's, and it's ab- about 16% of that allegedly is customized contract training and 42% of it is anyone can take the class? Okay. So non-credit is substantially about workforce, not entirely, but substantially, and that's interesting. I guess the other really interesting thing is who pays for it, right? Because we know that your Pell Grant doesn't pay for it, yeah. um, and in most states, your state tuition assistance program—I'm thinking of New York—doesn't pay for it. Um, so how do people pay for it mostly? Well, the answer is in the in states. There, that 16% of it, they, they figure out of the whole funding pie, they figure out how to get from the state in some form or another. It's not student scholarship, but it's some form of limited FTEs or some institutional money. States pay some money toward their non-credit job training. Um, WIOA, they eke out 8%. They figure out how to get 8% of their budget pie from the workforce system. Um, they, uh, what is that, that's something else we do. But then the biggest bulk, um, employers, Pay aren't the biggest. Employers pay another eighteen percent, so they're basically paying for the customized. And a whopping forty-two percent of the funding pie comes from people putting their own cash, reaching their hand in their pocket, and putting their own cash on the barrel to wow. take that course.
1: no, that's, that's interesting. I mean, I, I'll I'll probably end up taking what I'm about to say out, but um, I you know I've I went to school for political science, um, but I me and a couple of other friends are pretty interested in. Uh, working on cars and we know we've been doing it as sort of as hobbyists for a while but now sort of to get to the next level we're getting interested in uh, learning metalworking and metalworking welding that's a pretty popular career path and one that a lot of community colleges do workforce training in so what we've been thinking about doing is you know taking that class probably not credit paying for it ourselves and it really just be a hobby thing but maybe some at some point down the road, you know, 20 years from now, that could turn into a new career.
0: Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. You know,
1: it kind of throws a wrench into yeah. you know, how how maybe people like you try to identify where these people are and how they're interacting with the system. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, I would probably take a welding course. I mean, there's some courses like that that are really hard to decide. Like like cooking, I mean, cooking can be French cooking for, like, you know, for housewives, or it can be, like, really learning to be a chef, right? Yeah. So there's some fields where it's a little harder to tell, but I think probably metalworking, I would, class for most, for 99.999% of the people <laughs> melody, but metalworking, it's probably for a career. Yeah. Um, but but the, the challenge is, you know, I mean, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people, you know, I feel like if you can use your Pell Grant to get an associate degree in, um, you know, psychology, which, forgive me, but is worth, you know, nothing on the labor market, forgive me of the, <laughs> the listeners who are, you know, literally nothing. Um, uh you know, or a welding degree welding certificate certification that you can make, you know, if you, if you're willing to travel and work hard, you know, $150,000 in the labor market, like you should really use your Pell Grant for both of them. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you know, like not fair. So, so it's interesting. So we think that's important data for that reason. Like we, you know, to show that these courses are really valuable to people. They're willing to pay for them.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I guess the next question is, how can policymakers use this data?
0: So, I mean, there's, I mean, partly we want to make a case to policymakers, right? Like right there. I mean, the biggest overarching point is if I'm a governor with a dwindling pile of cash right now, right, which they all are, um, I mean, there'll be some stimulus money, but it will run out. Um, I got to figure out how to use it to get people back to work. Yeah. Like in every state, you know, and If I think that what my community college's system is basically producing is psychology majors, you know, they might not be at the top of the list for who's going to get money and who's going to get attention. Sure. If I think my community college is helping people actually take programs and get back to work this week, they might get some more money. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, so the first is sort of bragging rights for the colleges and for the systems to be able to say we're really part of the solution right now. And we need more attention, we need more love, we need more policy. And we need, in many cases, we need policy that recognizes us and gives us a little more, you know, gives us more of a fair shot. I mean, in one of the states where I'm working, you know, the pay scales between the credit and the non-credit are like scary. You know, the credit side teachers are making money and the non-credit side teachers, I don't know how they, how they do it. You know, they're adjuncts that like have other jobs and the most places, you know, the non-credit students, can't use the library or the gym or the whatever, you know. And I mean, I mean and the report's not only about non-credit, but I think the one of the big arguments is that non-credit isn't getting enough recognition, that non-credit's this amazingly hidden, this hidden amazing resource, you know, with amazing potential. And if you use it, you know, adequately resource it, but also create some standards and some quality control and what have you, you have, you have a real engine of, of economic, you know, vitality there. Um so partly it's to for awareness of you know, we want we want to wake up policymakers with some of this information. But we also I also think like when you start to compare your state to other states, right, which was what they're gonna be able to do, you're gonna see, well, in other states, you know, they actually pay the state is paying for 30% of the funding, not 16. And they're getting, you know, as a result, they're getting better results, or more people are getting jobs. And that so I think, you know, states will be able to compare themselves and either say, Hey, we're doing well, good for us, or let's keep doing it, or we're not doing so well, we should rush to catch up. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, and and there'll be many different, um, Iterations of what policies they change, but you know funding, program approval, um, requirements for certification. um, You know, there's all kinds of things that levers that the states have that we hope they'll reconsider in light of the information.
1: So, if a college is hearing this and wants to participate, uh, how how should they? They
0: come to our website, which is opportunityamericaonline.org. And they, if they wait for one, se- the first thing that will pop will be a banner of a young woman with a lot of wires. And if they <laughs> click on the, if they click on that first banner, it says survey, read more, they'll come to a place they can sign up. Their college, for sure, their college got an invitation. So yeah. the situation is every, at every college, the president and usually the workforce dean, and sometimes a third person, if we had their name and info, uh, institutional research usually got the survey, got an invitation. We have reminded them about a thousand times. We're at the point where they we, were—they we're, must feel like we're stalking them. But um, <laughs> um, you know, but not—but ha- about 500 colleges like haven't even opened it or, you know, consider doing it. So there may be people out there who are excited about it, but they're. You know, president or whatever has ignored it, or just went to a spam or whatever. So if you, um, so every college has an invitation. But if you hear about, if you hear us, and you're excited, pl- come to my website and sign up, and and we'll make sure that we help you.
1: Yeah, we'll make sure to put a link in the uh, episode description for this uh, sure. podcast too. Um, when do you expect this data to be? Uh, Widely available.
0: Well, we're making this preliminary data available right away. Um, ACCT is going to have a little blog post, Um, but I think the full report—I don't know—are we talking? So, if the survey closes February one, are we talking sometime in March? Probably.
1: Okay. Okay, great. Um, Is there—is there anything else that you want to?
0: I, don't know. Know. Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I could go on talking about this for weeks, but probably not. I mean, okay. the biggest thing, the biggest take, another big takeaway for colleges, I think. I mean, I think colleges too will look at the results and they'll say, well, how am I, we're going to give them individualized results. So how are they doing compared to other colleges and including other colleges like them? Okay. And um, I think, um, they too will sort of say well we're way ahead on certifications isn't that good or we're way behind on certifications maybe we should learn and do better um but the other thing is i hope it does spur um some better data keeping especially on the non-credit side because i mean like like in many states the non-credit side can't tell you about the demographic breakdown, um, breakdown, breakup of the students, breakdown of the students. Like they don't know whether they're, you know, minority or women or whoever they are. They have no idea. They don't keep the data. Many states know, you know, nobody has social security numbers, so they can't figure out the the outcomes of the job programs. You know, they can't use state data to figure out whether these people get jobs and earn good wages. Many of them don't have no data on the employers they partner with. So in part, like what we hope we're advancing is that we're going to spur some thinking about some data and spur some, I also hope some um, systemization of the categories. Like people, you know, because we're in a new field, people use the terms very differently from state to state and college to college. I mean, the accepted term in our world is a certification for something created by an industry group with a third party test. You know, some colleges they call it a micro credential and some colleges they call it a certificate, and they often mean the same thing, but yeah. they don't have the same terms. And so that's it's again, it's like before there was a uniform time, you know, countries had time zones, like every town had its own clock. And <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, what we hope that we're heading toward is a situation where there's a little more of an, you know, not rigid lockstep, but at least an ability to measure what's going on across the country in a more systematic way. And I don't think one little survey is gonna spur that, but it might spur a way awareness of the issue.
1: If you'd like more information about Opportunity America's survey, we have a link in the description for this episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.